Hey, good morning, all. Welcome to the Common Good Podcast. It's Thursday, February 9th of 2023 of the Common Era. And uh, glad to be talking science with astrophysicist, pastor, birder, uh, podcaster, professor Paul Wallace. Uh, this is Doug Badgett on Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hey, Dan. Uh, hello. In Michigan. And hello, Paul. Hi. Hey, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of things today, um, but in uh, among the things we're going to talk about, hopefully on YouTube, by the way, YouTube, we hope this goes well for you. Please, it's not. Please it's don't. not going. Not yet. Okay. Well, we got, <laughs> yes, we are sending the data. It is we don't not. Know. No. So we hope, we hope to be back up there someday. Uh, you know, we've been pushing people into YouTube and then they, then they just treated us bad. Um, we're going to try to fix that relationship. But uh, Paul, we're going to talk about a lot of things, uh, space and common gurry, because yep. yep. you're an astrophysicist. One of the things astrophysicists know a lot about is light. People yep. seem to be really, really concerned Light's about it. Light's a big it. deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Light's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, one of the ways that we deal with light, you know, is on the broader spectrums. If I got this right, you know, our rainbow spectrum, the lights in yep. our room, the lights we can see. Then there's like this very specific pointed light. Do I have this right? That that's what a laser is? That's part of what it is. Yeah, it's it's pointy very lights. it's pointy. Yeah, it, it it you can you can make it a laser. You can make it super collimated is the term. Like like it can go a long way without being deflected. It can it stays in a nice tight focus for a long time. What what do they do to make a light do that in a laser? What what's the what's the laser making apparatus that what what well, makes the, a the, laser? The tech. I know the physics of it a little bit. Uh, okay. The technology of it, I'm not quite as clear on. But I don't know what you remember from high school chemistry or Paul. whatever. But nothing. nothing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it all starts in atoms. It's all about atoms, basically. Okay. And it's like atoms can be in different states. It's they can be in different like state one or state two or state three. There's distinct, oh. discrete states that the atom can be in. Huh. And states when, rights for atoms. <laughs> <laughs> and when it goes from a high state to a low state, okay. a high energy state to a low energy state, it emits light. All the light you see around you is caused, is created that way. Um, but with a laser you can get this, this emission of light uh, to be coherent. Now, that's a fun oh. word. It's a fun word. And I know I'm perking people up with words like coherent and energy states and atoms. I know. Happy, happy Thursday morning. What can you they're, coherent they're, they're, conversation? They're tuning in by the truckload. Um, but what it amounts to is if you've, you've probably heard at some point in your life that light is a wave. You can think of light as a wave. Yes. Well, the thing is about the, the, the waves that come out of a laser, they're all like in step with each other. Got it. Okay, they're all in step, and they're all the same wavelength. They're all the same wavelength. Got it. Okay. Okay, which is like a pure tone in music. Like, you know, you go to the xylophone or you ring a bell, and it's got a certain pitch, like middle C, mm -hmm. and it's only, only one note. Only one frequency, ah, only one wavelength. Okay. It's like that, but for light, as opposed to you know a clarinet or a guitar that has all these all these complicated overtones and stuff and different frequencies going on. A pure tone in music is sort of like a laser for light. It's one frequency. It's one wavelength. It's one color. Huh. Yeah. So coherent, coherent means that it's in it's in the same pattern that that's what that means by coherent as it opposed means, to the yeah, way yeah, we yeah, use yeah. it, it psychological it coherence all, or something it means all the waves are in the same have the same wavelength and they're all in step with each other wow okay. well one of the things they tell you about about lasers like if any you know when a kid in fifth grade or seventh grade or something gets their hands on one of those little pen lasers one of those light pointers rule number one i have watched adults run across rooms and take lasers from kids. <laughs> if the child or the adult points the laser at someone's eye, right? Mm -hmm. That is the thing that people just, you know, lose their minds about, right? Right. I bring that up it's, because yesterday for me and today for your wife, I had a laser shot in my eye. Which a seems laser. like the exact thing you're not supposed to do. 
this is what I'm getting at. This idea that the <laughs> thing they just worry you worry to death about, right, is don't point a laser at your eye because you can take these lasers that can be very uh, specific, pointy thing, but also use them as a as a, as a scalpel. As a scalpel, so I, basically, a very yes. precise, very very small scalpel. Yeah. So I had a uh, vision correction surgery, uh, often referred to, uh, LASIK is the most common brand name of that, but I had that 20 years ago and then I had to yeah. have another one because I, now my eyes have changed. So I had an, another one called PRK, which is very similar kind of thing, just a little different technology, but with a laser. And so I'm laying down on the bed yesterday and uh, looking up into the, the lights and they put a little thing to hold your eye open and... Mm. Uh, mm. He uh, put some drops in that numbed my eye. If anybody's getting sick right now, I just you know it gets worse. So hang it on a minute. Sounds like a form of torture. Yeah, it, it, it does. It, like a clockwork orange or something. It didn't hurt. <laughs> it didn't hurt at all. Didn't feel any pain. They put a numbing drop in, then rubbed a little thing over my eye, some chemical I think that pulled off that top layer, so that that laser could just go right into your oh wow in the surface of you to reshape it. Probably six seconds, five, six seconds, uh, 10 seconds, maybe. The person was kind of, maybe 20 seconds. Maybe I heard her say 20 seconds. The reason I don't know is because the smell, Paul, Dan, I got to tell you, <laughs> the, the burning smell. Do, do you know that hot burning smell when you're at the dentist? That thing where you're like, oh, that, where they're doing a, where they're drilling into your teeth? You ever smell that smell at the dentist? Do you look mm -hmm. at me? Well, anyway, sometimes you pick up a smell. That was the smell. The smell burning of part away, of your parts, body burning. Yeah. My eye, part of my eye. Trying not to think about that for the whatever number of seconds that was going on, like that's what's happening. The, really, I'm, really I'm, I'm still stuck on them scraping off the top layer of your cornea. That, that. Yeah, with a chemical. Mm -hmm. And how yeah, do you, I, I mean, you've got your eyelid open. How do you not move your eye and mess it all up? Like, how do you not oh. look to the left and. Well, let, let me brag about lasers for a minute. 20, uh, the, the, <laughs> The laser surgeon knew that I'd had surgery 20 years ago or so for this LASIK. And he said, hey, just so you know, 20 years ago, if you don't remember, there was a lot of worry that you didn't move your eye. And I, that was a big part of having LASIK 20 years ago. You had to look at this one single light point and they would say repeatedly for whatever number of seconds, 10 or 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Don't move your eye. Don't move your eye. Don't move your eye. Don't like they, it was. <laughs> God, that, must have been, that is oh, so yeah. stressful. Just through the roof. He said, I know you're worried about that. Uh, some people get worried about that if they've had this before. Um, the technology has changed and the laser can follow your eye. So don't move your eye, but also don't worry about it. The laser will follow your eye. Wow. Like this little laser, this little light, not only is it going to reshape my cornea, but it's going to follow my cornea if it tries to, if it, you know, starts, starts bouncing around and moving away. Incredible. Incredible. The, <laughs> sorry, Ed, about this. Um, yeah, Ed uh, says, I'm vomiting now, but I'm, I'm hanging in there because I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure there is a deeper message here. I'm sure. Uh, okay. You're about to be gravely disappointed, Ed. Yeah, Ed. <laughs> Deep and wide message here, Paul. Okay, so great. So the, they finish, right, the, that, that part. They're like, okay, and they pull the sort of laser away. And I said, you know, I got to tell you, the, um, the smell, the burning smell sort of surprised me. I didn't anticipate that. And the surgeon said, um, that's just the smell of glasses leaving your body. I thought that is such a great uh, dad joke. What a the dad joke, doctor joke. The smell of glasses leaving your body. Uh, oh, uh, wow. Just a delightful, uh, delightful sort of experience. So anyway, uh, every once in a while now, that's 24 hours ago. My surgery was right, right now, literally 24 hours ago. And, um, and my, they said, know, okay. Doug, you shouldn't look at things for three days. And yet, uh, here, here, here you, you are. are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So before we brag about lasers and lights. I thought and I was going to see you with an eye patch or something. Yeah. I was volcanic. hoping for some, yeah. Well, you might, you might thing. pick up a little tearing at some point today because um, <laughs> while the, then they place a contact lens over that removed part. So it sort of heals up. This is different than LASIK where they put the flap back down. But anyway. So oh, sometimes flaps. I get little waves of oh, some tearing while my eye sort of is going through its, its healing thing. So it's a, a slightly discomforting every, every few minutes, a little, little moments, a minute or yeah. two of a little. A little. Yeah. So not a big deal. 
when I was leaving, they said, hey, you're, do whatever. If, if you're comfortable doing it, do it. Don't, don't worry. They kind of give you a lot of warning ahead of time. They told me to clear my calendar for multiple days, yeah. don't do anything, all, all this kind of stuff. I only had it done in one eye. So uh, that's so my other eye can be my reading glasses eye. So that allows uh -huh. me to read things up close. It's like bifocals between the eyes. It's called monovision. So anyway, wow. only had it done in, in one eye. Um, what really, Paul, the thing that was fascinating to me about it was the way that we have figured out what goes on in the cosmos with light and are harnessing that stuff. Like that yeah. honestly is so cool. And I bring all this up because I bet that to all the astrophysicists out there and people who deal with light, is there a separate category of people who just deal with light? Is that a science? No, almost category? all astrophysicists deal with light. I mean, uh, people who are observers who actually, you know, take data, I'd say that of the information we have coming down from the sky, 98, 99% of it comes in the form of light. Incredible. So, so there's, we gravi know there's, gravitation, there's gravitational waves which are not light. There are cosmic rays, particles that are not light, but mm -hmm. everything else is light. And we so, figured yeah, it's out super important. how to harness that stuff to the point that we can track things with lasers, we can be so precise, you can go in and just shave off a portion yeah. of someone's eye a few layers of, a few layers twice, of cells. Yeah. Twice in a guy's life, they can go in and do this stuff. Like It's kind of amazing. Does all that come from astrophysics? Does all that, do you no, think that technology, no. like is there Astro a downline no, of that? No, I don't think there's a direct connection. I would say that you know the laser was invented uh, back in the 50s, I guess, or at least the groundwork was laid. A guy named Charles uh -huh. Towns got the Nobel Prize for it, for laying the groundwork for it. But it has been, you know... I don't think we've learned more about light in itself from astrophysics, but we have certainly learned to, uh, what we, what we've done in astrophysics is learn how to make, do amazing things with a little bit of light, like wow. uh, to, yeah. to, to take a little bit of light from a galaxy billions of light years away and make you know, and get, take that light and put it in a spectrum and figure out what the galaxy is made of and how fast it's moving away from us and all kinds of information is contained in this light. And we've learned how to extract information from light in, in astrophysics. But it's fundamental research into the nature of light and the practical technological applications of it mostly came outside of astrophysics. It's just the whole sciences around light is just amazing, right? Like it, it really well, is... Know. Like when you describe, and you'll do it again today, because we're going to talk about dwarf stars and we're going to talk about some radio waves coming off of a volcano on a something. Um, they're reading this light. They're always talking about reading these light spectrums and then extracting yeah. all of this fantastic data from it is just really tremendous. Yep. It is. And it is mind blowing what people can do with light. And, and the information that light carries with it is, is rich. But, you know, light is a mysterious thing in a lot of ways. And, and the thing that we both, uh, three of us, have spent time around is the, the religious narratives that involve the, the text of the Jewish scriptures, right, which includes the book of Genesis, which 5,000-year-old, you know, collected writing, something like that, old for human writing like you know it's one of yeah. the older sets not the oldest by far but one one of the older ones been around a long time starts out with this whole narrative about light right, right. <laughs> like like let there be the light fir first thing light yeah you know philosophically what is it that we knew as human species do you think uh, that that said to people a long time ago, hey, if you want to start delving into the mysteries of what it means to be human mm -hmm. on this planet, which is what those texts are about, not how we got here, but how are we supposed right, to be right, while right. we're here? Right, right. Um, it, it wants us to like pay attention to light. I mean, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, and uh, th there's that question, which I'll return to, but I want to point out that I'm not one, as you know, Doug, to like line up Genesis with like scientific cosmic history. I don't think that it's like a secret secret code or something in there, you know, that you can sort of figure out. But um, 
it turns out that, you know, starting with light does in fact line up with what we think about the Big Bang and so forth. And I'm not saying that the authors of Genesis knew this or God told them this, because I don't. But it turns out that the very first thing that existed was light and all the matter that we see, in a sense, condensed out of light. But light was the first thing, fundamental thing. Um, so that's worth, that's worth thinking about, too. But yeah, there is something about light. Uh, it's, you know, poetically, religiously, scientifically, it's really a little bit of a, of a mystery and a multifaceted thing to talk about. It's like water. It's like using, you know, water's one yeah, of these symbols. Yeah. Yes. It's used a million different ways in films and in scripture and in, you know, scientifically, it's so important. Biologically, it's so important. It's one of those kind of things. Yeah, it's 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 spectacular. So uh, to all the to all the light users out there, and all the best <laughs> to your wife with her uh, with with her surgery. Thank today, you, thank her, you. She actually yeah. has uh, she has uh, she's early onset sort of um, glaucoma. Turns out, uh huh, yeah. And so she's uh, the pressure in her eyes gets up too high sometimes, and they have to essentially what they do is they take a laser. And just and just drill a little hole and let some let some fluid out and do, and lower the pressure that way. Um, and she has to have this done every few years. Hmm. She, this is the second else. time she's had it done. She had one eye done last Thursday and another eye done today. So little release valve. Yeah, a little release valve, but the the, the release valve is drilled by a laser. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, again, when you just think the the what the eye does, the human eye is bring in light, right? It brings it into yep. the brain. So yep. that's what it's there for. And then they use light, they, then they use really concentrated, coherent patterns of light waves to play with that, to fix yep. that very part yep. of the body that's designed to take in light. It's just, it's just a little light circle of gloriousness and, and beauty. And then the, and then the irony is that when you have the surgeries like I had, you then see halos around things for um, at night for a while, so you even get more light. It just is diffracting light. It's just a big light. Brigade. You mean you mean at night? What do you mean? Yeah, when you look at a light at at nighttime, like a street light or a something. Oh, when, when it's dark around it, yeah, yeah. When the light is when the contrast is very gotcha. pronounced, you'll get yeah. this little. Some people get that anyway. They get see little see little halos, but anyway, it's just it's just all this light spreading business, and almost everything you you've already alluded to this that we know about what's going on out there in space. Um, we know because of information that we're picking up from little teeny teeny amounts of light. Yep. Off of a telescope somewhere, and then that yep. gets turned into digits, which is right. still just just. Fantastic. So whether it's whether it's uh, visible light or in the case of James Webb, you know, light that's infrared or mm -hmm. whatever UV. But yeah, it's all light. What was that last one? UV. UV ultraviolet. Oh, UV. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I thought there was I thought there was another another kind of <laughs> a, a certain secret missed. kind of light. Yeah, I didn't know that. All right. So uh, hey, before we get into a couple of the stories, you want to talk about with these volcanoes out there that are telling us, you know, that are really aliens. Um, uh, I'm glad we're not on YouTube. That would have been it. They would have been done. <laughs> they said aliens. You people are done. Um, uh, there was big talk last week about this this green comet that then oh, yeah. people couldn't see. And you got anything to say about this this green comet? Well, it's up, it, it's up there. It's a little fainter now than it was. It, it already passed the closest, uh, okay. as closest, closest to Earth. But we got a good look at it through our telescope network here, and it got actually got a little movie of it. It's kind of fun. Oh wow! Um, well, but it was too, it, it, here inside uh, the perimeter, the sort of close to the city of Atlanta. Um, there's no way to see it with your eye. Okay. I think if you were out, if you were out in the of dark, light pollution. Yeah, light pollution, just because of the reflection off the irony. Yeah, uh huh. Irony. Oh, oh geez, I didn't even sorry, say that. Sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. Welcome so, to dad so, joke central. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, it was not visible to unaided eye, but we got a good look at it through the telescope. Was it cool? Was it? A, was it was it a, cool. Yeah. Yeah. You, you you could see the green color a little. Sort of, if you use your imagination. 
you know, you just <laughs> it's like the LaCroix. Like, Here, if you give think me about the... it, you're getting the grapefruit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you look at the can and then drink real quick, it'll have the, yeah. uh, hint, the essence of give grapefruit. Me the, give me another vodka shot. Maybe I'll see the green. Um, <laughs> well, no. I'll tell you, Paul, I feel like so many things in the, when you look up in the sky and people are like, and they're, you know, they start naming the constellations. I'm like, Good. Talk about using your imagination. You know, like <laughs> here's six six stars, and then just draw a horse and a chariot around it, and there you go. Well, uh, you know, when those things were invented, they didn't have you know like must see TV. They didn't have like you know, YouTube. All they had at night was to go out and look at the sky. You know, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and they had yeah. zero light pollution. Zero light so pollution. I've read yeah. that the the night sky was just brilliant, like full of huh. stars. Like we can't even imagine today. Like unless yeah, you get to, to a to dark like sky park or whatever, Southern Arizona or something. Yeah. Hmm. Just okay. Well, let's. Uh, let, yeah, let's, we got to look at the green comet. We did. It was cool, and it'll be well, back in fifty thousand years. So it's not. Be, it won't be gone forever. Stick Only fifty thousand more years. It'll be back. Where's it? Where's it going between now and then? <laughs> Way out away from the sun. Where is it going? And then and then whips around and whips back around like yeah, it's like a super like mo- like the Earth's orbit is elliptical but almost circular. So if you okay. went above the Earth's orbit and looked at it, you wouldn't be able to tell with your eye that it's elliptical. But a lot of comet orbits are super, super uh-huh. stretched out. Oh, and the sun is near one end of that. It's, it, the, it's kind the, of slingshotting, and then it gets slingshotted out. And so right now the comet just happens to be. Okay, uh, it's on the on, on the part that's really super close to the Earth, but then it's going to be flung back out. You know, a good a good fraction of the way to the closest star. You know, it might go one one hundredth of the distance to the closest star before oh, wow. it turns back out around. Yeah, Doug's really doing some. Doug's doing some. I love that look on Doug's face when I say something like that, and he's processing it. <laughs> it, it gets it gets out there, and then the gravitational pull like kind of pulls it's it back. So. It, back yeah it's just makes a, a slow slow turn yeah for so right now it's speed. going super fast but as it goes out it'll slow down and slow down and slow down and slow down and when it gets far away from the sun will it also like freeze more like yeah yeah will it and not it have a it tail it won't have a tail anymore that tail is just what's called the solar wind particles from the sun mm. and radiation from the sun ripping material off the surface of the comet but when it gets far out there, away from it, there's no tail. There's no halo. It's mm. called the halo right around the... So is it getting smaller? Is it... Lo- it would appear to be smaller, but the physical object... Oh, yes, it is. It is. As it loses material, it does lose mass as the sun rips material yeah. off of it. But it's usually just a small fraction of the total, so it doesn't make a huge difference. Why, why, why do I know Halley's Comet? Why, why is that such a famous comet? That I think it's people- famous because it was the first... As far as I know, it was the first comet for us to know the period of it, mm. to know it comes back every 76 years. And it was discovered that, that it would actually be back, and it was predicted to come back, and it did. And also, I think the fact that it almost perfectly matches a human lifetime made it sort of popular huh. because everybody gets to see it on average once, you yeah. know, pretty much over a lifetime. Did that yeah. one have a cult around it? Or? Was that no, but it, no, but uh, as Hellbop, which was super bright, I don't know if you remember it back in '97, it was super bright. But mm. no, Halley, you know, when when Halley comes back around, or Haley, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, comes back around, uh, maybe there'll be a cult this time. Maybe we'll start one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's a there's apparently there's an opportunity waiting for yeah, us. There, <laughs> there is. Let's be first to market on that. <laughs> you're you're welcome to just look at me with with long pause and say Google it, dude. But do uh, you know when Haley's comet is coming back? Is there a hold on nineteen? Is there a, is there a tracker? I is there think a it, comet? about twenty sixty two. Some within yeah, a year of twenty sixty two. Yeah, I might not make it till then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was in, I was in, I was actually my, I think it came around in 84, 86, something like that. I was late in high school at the time. All right. Hey, uh, let's, let's talk about this, um, this little headline, Dan, the one with uh, the volcano. I saw this headline that says uh, volcanic eruption in quotes, which headline, science headlines where they put things in quotes always make me nervous. Yes. A volcanic eruption on dead star 
could help explain mysterious, quote, alien radio signals. Now, <laughs> that is that, a heck of a headline. <laughs> that set of words has two different times where it uses in quotes. I think every phrase on there could be, you could be, quote, you know, putting, uh, you know, in quotes. So uh, there's a volcanic eruption on a dead star. There, there should also be quotes around dead star right what is that what does that mean when they say and explain that? and mysterious and radio maybe radio signals is the only thing all right so what's a dead star and what do you think this uh this volcano and these these radio signals are and and is this just like the month where all the conspiracy understandings of aliens and ufos goes away it's just chinese spy satellites and yeah. volcanoes volcanoes exploding on dead no, stars? Yeah, before I answer your question directly, I should say as far as uh, punctuation goes, I think that they missed an opportunity here to underline the word could. That word's carrying a lot of weight all in this caps, sentence. Maybe italicize it, underline it, somehow put little asterisks around it, something yeah. to emphasize that it, the answer is, 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 is could. Yeah, okay, so let, let, let's just take this one phrase at a time. Um, uh, volcanic eruption. That's in, that's in scare quotes because um, the kind of star we're talking about here, anything on it that would be like a volcano would really not be like what you and I think about <laughs> as a volcano. Huh. Okay. Because the gravity on such a star. Okay. Th let's get to the, the dead star piece. Uh, the dead star, what they mean is a neutron star. Much in cooler a sense, name. Yes, it's, and, 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 yeah, it is a cooler name. And in a sense, it is a dead star uh, in the sense that it used to be a star and it's not a star anymore, even though it's still huh. called a neutron star. Huh. Uh, what Anything called a star has to be fusing, has right. to have nuclear fusion huh. in its core. But this huh. has run out of fuel and Run stops. out of fuel, and this is the, what we call a remnant, a remnant of a star. Mm. of a very massive star, maybe 20 times the mass of the sun wow. or something. And the gravity on this thing is extraordinary. Any mm. object that you and I think of, can think of, no matter how rigid and how dense, if you place it on the surface of the star, would be immediately flattened. Wow. Hmm. It is, the, the, the gravity, it's just beyond anything you can imagine. The surface of the star is certainly super smooth. There's no mountains on it. Ah, There's no possible way to have anything like what we would think of as a volcano on it. There might okay. be cracks. In, there might be cracks in the surface. I can't even imagine how that would be, though. So it's clearly so, not a planet with, you know, mantle in the middle, and it's not right. that kind of volcano. Right. It's some kind no, of no, a no. volcanic-like eruption. Mm -hmm. Yeah, th this density of this thing. The density is another issue, and the density has to do with the strong gravity. The density of it is you know, a tablespoon of it would weigh millions of tons. Hmm. Wow. So we're talking about something total. Basically, it's, it's the same density as a nucleus of an atom, but it's the size of, I don't know, maybe 10 miles across. How, how wide across is our sun? Well, it's 100 times the width of the Earth. Okay. Put it that way. Big, and this thing is the size of a of a of a city. And how across. big did it used to be? Much bigger. These kinds of oh, uh, you know, this, this, this thing used to be much, 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 much bigger. Yes, like bigger than, our, be bigger than our sun. It'd be twenty times bigger than our sun, and then it condenses down. Yeah, twenty times more massive, which is not the oh, same okay. as, as size, but but mm. still, the star from which this came from was many times more larger in diameter than our sun hmm. okay. originally. And, and so then, how, uh, would a how would any sort of eruption be possible with this amount of gravitational pull? And that's what I'm saying. Density is, 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 there's, is there's no eruption. And, and that's why the volcanic eruption really, I think, huh. you know, I'm not sure why they, why they chose <laughs> that because it's nothing like, nothing. Not even as the volcano, not like what we would think of as a volcano. But an eruption, I'm not even sure that that, that makes sense. Um, hmm. And I have not read the article uh, in great detail. Uh, well, it's, uh, had, is, there a, is there some sort of internal pressure then that's being condensed and then released? Is that what they're 
There Talking has to be here. yeah yeah some sort of an event on the surface of the neutron star, and what what intrigues me what I don't know I'm not saying that I understand this completely I certainly don't what I don't know is is how anything on the inside of the star could get out sure because and that's why the word eruption is sort of mystifying to me because of the gravity of the thing I can understand how how it might be a magnetic phenomenon because the okay. magnetic fields of these things are enormous. Mm. But um, I'm interested to find out more about why they would use a volcanic eruption, even as a metaphor, as an approximation to what's mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. So it's sending out some kind of radio. The, the suspicion is that something on this neutron star, dead star, has popped and it's created some kind of a burst of radio signals. Radio signals, yes, that we have detected. Right, and those radio signals are, are how we drew, drew, our attention was drawn to this in the first place. And the alien quotes are because these radio signals seemed unnatural. Is that right? Like they seemed unnatural, right? They something didn't seem we hadn't like, seen like, before. Yeah, like when we search the sky for um, ET, basically, we're looking for signals that seem kind of artificial, you know, and seem not just naturally produced. And this sort of the, the regularity of these signals. And the patterns of the signal seemed to us at first to be sort of uh, artificial, like created by some, you know, alien intelligence. But um, that's not, in fact, we think what's happening. <laughs> right. <laughs> one, one, one of the lines from from this article says says it was just so this is so intriguing to me. It says a This is a quote from one of the one of the people who's studying this. Uh, a strong, massive particle wind emanating from the star for a few hours could establish the conditions for the drop in in rotational period our calculations showed such a wind would also have the power to change the geometry of the magnetic field outside the neutron star yeah what they're what they're talking about is if if you think about the earth you know when there's a major earthquake like there was in in turkey last week yeah or this week earlier this week um or the one that happened in the Indian Ocean a few years ago, the mm -hmm. period, the rotational period of the Earth changes, and we can, it changes, and we can measure it. We can measure the change. Whenever you redistribute mass of a spinning object like that, of a spinning object, where you take the mass and, and change it, distribute it differently a little bit, the period of the rotation changes, and that's what they're talking about here. Wow. If there were some Pretty sort great. of an event that, that, that rearranged the surface of the star a little bit, it would change the period of its rotation. Wow. So there's this, they, apparently there's this X-ray um, pulsation that could launch some sort of a, you know, wave, sound wave, something off of this that then has been floating through the galaxy that we, that we then detected. Right. right. What, what do we, what do we detect things like that with? Like what? If telescopes allow us to see this light, how do we hear these radio waves? What what's the well? We don't hear them. We detect them the same way. We we basically uh, we're talking about light earlier. A little theme going on here today. Um, radio waves are just light. They're light that we can't see, but they're the same stuff as light. Okay, it's like comparing a long ocean wave due to a storm to a to, to a wave in a tide pool yep. that's little bitty i mean it's the same thing right there's nothing in qual quality different from the, the I'll, I'll, you know a, a 10 meter long wave to a one millimeter mm -hmm. long wave it's the same mm -hmm. thing as what waves in water um that's sort of what radio waves are like compared to visible light it's the same kind of thing it's just longer wavelength and our eyes can't see it okay so we so, detect the, detect uh, radio light, for example. Is, is someone uh, excused from being confused if they think about radio waves going through the air and we turn on a radio in our car and it receives those and makes sound? That's the same radio wave? That's the same radio wave, but the radio wave itself is not audible. The radio wave itself is light. It's completely silent. Yeah. But, we, but we can take that signal of light and convert it into sound yeah which still that's sounds why like you, magic. that's why you gotta that's now why you gotta is, yeah that's why you gotta plug your radio in because it requires energy to convert that light signal into sound that essentially think of it this way you can convert that radio signal 
into an electric current. And that electric current can be yep. used to move a speaker, which pushes the air molecules back and forth, which is what we call sound. Right. But somehow it's pushing them, you know, with a rhythm and a beat and a voice and everything else right. that makes music out of it. Which that is that is related to the to, fantastic. And 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 that and the and those those sounds that we hear, if you can sort of see them on a on a um on a spectrograph, you know, I mean, sort of yeah. see them on a graph, they would match the light waves in the form of them, the shape of them. Yeah. In other words, all we're doing is taking a light signal and converting it into an electrical signal and then converting that into sound. So there's several steps in the process. Yeah, that's all we're doing. Just, you know, cool. <laughs> <laughs> just taking sound, converting it into light waves, sending it, having it hit the antenna of a car from 1974. Which, which takes electrons in the metal and makes them move up and down in the, in the antenna, which is an electric current electric current then that goes into speakers and they start to pulsate and you can l hear close enough to the human ear an identical replication of that sound that came from this other place turned into light turned into electrical impulse vibrates a speaker and makes music it is amazing yeah that just happy thursday everybody i mean think about the world <laughs> we live in. you can you know, there are just times where and honestly, the steps you look at the it took to make that possible. Like how many discoveries and scientific breakthroughs it took over the centuries to get. Yeah, and as and as a scientist, I, 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 I wonder how much cursing did it require. How, <laughs> you know, you know yeah, how, how many much, failed experiments? How many failed and experiments? Frustrations and yes. And, and also, to be frank, happy accidents, because a lot of times scientific discovery yeah. is, not, is not a eureka thing, but, uh, you know, that's funny or that's annoying thing, you know, and then Dave, you track Dave it down. Popped in the, yeah, Dave popped in the chat, Edison, which I think he's referring to the, the person. And when people like Thomas Edison were thinking of this, like, they're... I mean, my mind is blown right now, and I've there's never been a day in my life when there weren't radio waves transmitted into sound production, right? right? It's been right. something that is so ordinary and common to me. I I'm, I laugh at radios, right? They're like old technology compared to the right. stuff we're doing right now with, you know, live streaming and all this stuff. So I'm so used to it. It's so, it's so of course it's possible. You think about it for a minute and it's like that's really what's happening that's incredible <laughs> at least if you have yeah. a brain like mine when thomas edison was thinking of this stuff if indeed dave is right that he's one of the first people around this, everyone must have said to him you're gonna take sound mm -hmm. <laughs> turn it into light waves turn it into electrical impulses send it into something have it vibrate and have it sound enough like the original sound that yes convert sound into a mind convert sound into an electrical current into a radio wave back into an electrical current back into sound yeah crazy and, and this happened you know out. 200 years ago whatever it was you know 200 years ago and send that out like a radio transmitter in the town that i'm in you know these radio waves are going out for cars to receive them blanketing the city like these sound waves are they're not on one path they're they're everywhere right and the Which old, and the old, the old TV, you know, broadcast TV is the same way. A little more complicated, but same basic idea. Yeah, I guess it makes television seem like yeah, okay. So the only difference there is they the data that was being sent included images visual, and visual that, data, yeah, visu yeah. The, the visual side. But man, yeah. good on us with radio waves. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Just. And, which, which, which makes you know that like you have a phone like this, I mean, what absolutely mind-blowing things are happening right here. Totally. In a cell phone. Like more technology huh. than... Yeah, way beyond what you're talking about. Than what we landed on the moon waves. with, you know, like yeah. right in your pocket. Yeah. Okay. Hey, to get back well, to right. this, to get back but to this article... So, okay, all right. I was going to I was gonna <laughs> go deep down there. Is it really more impressive or is it iteration improvements and the big jump was getting radio waves to work in the first place and the rest of this has been... <laughs> no, on the, the radio cake. The transistor which made this possible, made digital possible, is was major. 
mm. was was like this was like what we're describing. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it was it was that it was a, an equal or larger leap, and then the miniaturization of transistors, like and over okay. and over and over and right. over and over again. Well, I, I won't bring up transistor radios, which I think were the beginning of that transistor usage. But anyway, I'll I'll go find a radio a radio <laughs> museum somewhere and. Call the, uh, <laughs> Let's do that, Dan. Let's get some curator of whatever the National Radio Museum is to yes. come on and just like say, you know, there's some, someone wants to brag. You know, about there's radio. some guy in Vermont or some somewhere who has collected like twenty thousand old radios and probably has them in his garage and charges mm -hmm. three dollars for everybody to go take a look at his radios. I, I remember hearing the story as a kid. Like, uh, was it Edison that said something over the radio waves to Watson or something? There's some words that were the famous. Watson, first come here! Word. I need you. Watson, come here, I need you. Yeah. And then even that, the first thing we did over this fantastic, you know, uh, new technology was to show the the requirement of interdependence and, you know, human need of one another. Great, yeah. great choice of, of first words. I need you. Right. Yeah. Speaking yeah. into the ether, I need you. I need you. <laughs> That's whatever. That's what all these volcanic explosions off of dead stars are saying to the rest of us. Just hey, Earthlings, we we need you. You better. All right, I think we got one more, right? Right, Dan. Well, yeah, I was going to ask a question about. Like, I understand why they used the quotes and used volcanic eruption and alien radio signals. Further down, uh, there's a couple sentences that are just like Greek to me. Uh, they say, "What makes this uh, really different and unique?" was the fast radio burst from the magnetar just a few days after the anti-glitch, as well as a switch-on of pulsed ephemeral radio mission shortly thereafter. There's so <laughs> We've only seen a handful of transient pulsed radio magnetars, and this is the first time we've seen a radio switch-on of a magnetar almost contemporaneous with an anti-glitch. So like, the person who was reading this article and said, okay, we're going to run this tomorrow. That sentence makes no sense to anyone. <laughs> How about volcanic eruptions on dead star could explain mysterious alien yeah, radio? Yeah, 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 yeah. What do you think is going to get a couple of goofballs on a podcast to pick that article <laughs> to talk about? Well, <laughs> let's use uh, alien radio signals and volcanic eruptions on That's dead it. stars. There you go. Wow. Wow. Well, and and that to that to that person in that quote, it's clear that they're speaking to a reporter of a of a popular science magazine or science uh, a reporter. Yeah. And they're like, I'm going to make this as simple as I can. <laughs> <laughs> and that's let the, me break it down for you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the simple. Simple. Oh, I love it though. Can you imagine if he was like, "Let me go, let, let me tell you the complicated version of this." <laughs> yeah, right. That you've right. Ever heard? No, of? As a uh, as a as a si uh, astro person myself, I mean, several of those words taken by themselves make sense to me, but putting them, I, I, in other words, <laughs> I would need to read that very slowly and think about it, uh -huh. um, just to start to get a grasp of what. What is a magnetar? You, Were you just going to ask that? Because that's it's basically, a great yeah, it's, word. Basically, a neutron star with an extraordinarily strong magnetic field. Okay. Oh, there's like levels of failed stars. Like there's the Mel Gibson oh, yeah. level not all of failed same. star and the. Yeah. 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 They're um, not all. The, no, uh, failed star is probably. Is actually, there's a thing called a brown dwarf, which is actually more appropriately called a failed star, which is quite a name for a thing. That's he different tried, than a neutron star? He, he tried, but he failed. No, a neutron star has actually been a star. Uh, brown it's dwarf. It's a successful star. It's uh, lived a, a out a brown its dwarf life. never tried, but never made it to starhood. Mm. Oh, it's the barista that said, I could have been a star if I just, <laughs> as exactly. compared to the, uh, exactly. Mel Gibson, who was a star and then became a goofball. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's yeah it's the barista. It's it's the it's the L.A. barista huh. who who didn't quite make it. Yeah, shoulda, coulda, woulda star. Yeah, that, yeah. that kind of star. Yeah. yeah. Well, we do have one story left, and this one makes more sense to me. Uh, there's rings around a dwarf planet. That's I really mean, cool. Apparently, it's it's uh, an uncommon thing, but I can imagine dust and dirt floating around a thing. Yep. Yeah. Dan, you need a you need a sound poll. You saying there's rings around a dwarf planet. That is just. <laughs> 
put that right up there with uh, the other quotes that we yeah. pulled out. There's rings around a dwarf planet. I think we but need to ask that GTAI thing to write a song around the phrase, yeah. there's rings around that dwarf planet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's song it can create for us. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> chat, have chat GPT write one. Yes. Or yeah. no, the, the, the music version of that. Yeah. All right. So, so tell us this: uh, dwarf planets are what, and why is there? Uh, why, why is it a big deal that there's an, a ring around it? They didn't expect it. Who, who was it that put a ring on it? Well, we don't know who put a ring on it, actually. Uh, and it's a little weird that the ring's even there. But the first thing is, a dwarf planet is a, it's a, it's a thing that almost it's sort of like a failed planet. Didn't quite make it to planethood. Kind of mm. like the uh, okay, the, like the cousin of the again. Yeah. And the reason why I didn't make it to planethood is because, well, it's it orbits the sun, so that's one requirement to be a planet. Another requirement is that it's spherical in shape, large enough to be spherical. Okay, small objects in space are not spherical, but if after a certain size limit, they be, begin to become spherical. Mm -hmm. Whole different, okay. whole different rabbit hole. We're not going to go down. And the third one is that it has to more or less orbit by itself. It has to have oh. cleared out its orbit. Like there's nothing else really orbiting in the Earth's orbit. It's just the Earth and the Moon, but the Moon doesn't count because it orbits the Earth. Uh, but dwarf planets, there are dwarf planets, for example, in the asteroid belt. They orbit with a bunch of other things that are really small. Um, they're big enough to be spherical, but they're not big enough to have gravitationally swept out their orbit. They're, they're not I alone. See. Okay. Okay. So, and so you don't is, expect them to have rings then. That's the thing. That's right. Right, right. Right. Because they're just not, they're not gravitationally, they're not very large and not very powerful, but also you expect rings to be close to planets, um, to be stable uh -huh. uh, and like Saturn's rings, for example. But these rings apparently are a long way out from the, Huh. planet and uh, are certainly transient they certainly are not going to last long oh um, but they're not sure where it came from because we don't think that the gravity of this particular body is big enough to have like destroyed a comet for example and created a ring out of the debris of the comet okay okay so i've said a lot so are you, are you getting we've talked about saturn it's sort of been like we pretty much understand how these rings came about. This set of conditions have to be in place. Yeah. And these yeah. these not yet or never were planets, these dwarf planets, right. don't have those conditions. Is that what you're saying? So right. there's a ring there. Right. So they're like, oh, maybe our assumptions about what's required for a ring or right. a planet is not what we thought. Exactly. Yes. Wow. Right. Right. And by the way, this this uh, dwarf planet has a name. It's Quawar. How do you like that? Quawar. I wasn't going to try to say it out loud, but I, that sounds yeah. right. It's it orbits, too many vowels yeah. altogether, but it orbits uh, outside of Neptune's orbit, wow. and is part of the same band of objects that Pluto is a part of. So, when you say it has a name, we should remind just ourselves of this obvious point that we gave it a name. Like we, you're saying, we've been paying attention to this thing long enough yeah. that we could it, we could give it, it a name. It has been classified as a dwarf planet ever since we invented the classification of dwarf planet. So we've known about it for a long time. Yeah. Like, by, by a long time, you mean like 40 uh, 16 years? 16 years. Uh, no, 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 20. 20, oh. okay, a long time. <laughs> <Got it. Yeah. laughs> All right, good point. Uh, a long time, you know, in like dwarf planet uh, lists. Well, uh, the, the, the uh, exploration of the outer solar system has really uh, uh, accelerated in the last 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so to know about this for 20, this object for 20 years is actually, it's a little bit on the older side as far as the objects that we know about. Well, and that's kind of fast. So thinking about you, when you're studying, you know, uh, astrophysics and you're working for NASA and doing all the, all the things you did earlier in your life and career, there wasn't even a category for dwarf planets. Obviously, they no. knew something no. about them probably because it takes a while to get a whole category in place. So there was yeah. some assumption of them. But just in that lifetime, just yours, in your level of work, whole new categories have been... Oh, yeah. Uh, created and then expectations were created about how they things in that category would behave, and right. those expectations are being broken. 
just reminds right. us of the dynamism of science, right? That it is. Exactly. Yep. It's always changing. And so, um, hmm. well, you know, that's, that's a little bit, that's a little bit uh, misleading because it's not like, you know, the theory of evolution is, you know, we're going to throw it out next week. Uh, details of it may change. I don't suspect that the theory of evolution is going to be, you know, Sure. No longer yeah. science in 20 years. So there are some things that have remained the same, but everything's open to question. And at the frontiers of science, things are very messy and things are always, always changing at the frontiers, always. And the magnetar that we talked about a moment ago, that wasn't a thing until 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So you're and saying it'll be another planets. 10 years before there's a magnetar costume at Halloween time for sale at Walgreens. <laughs> it's It'll be a while because that's a great name for Halloween. God. What, what are you, yeah. you going to be for Halloween? And the kid says, a Magnetar. <laughs> yes. It, it sounds like a superhero, doesn't it? Yeah, I think Jim in the chat said it sounds like a Godzilla villain or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, a character from Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing and I dwarf, love about all this from... Were in, sorry. No, you go. A dwarf planet, the, the term I think was invented in 2006. The category huh. was 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 established in I think in two thousand six. Is that when Pluto got knocked down Demoted. a peg? And still yeah. mad about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I read a Upsetting. quote one time, a true quote on Twitter, where someone said, "This is ridiculous. If God made it a planet, then it's a planet." <laughs> As opposed to you know, these are categories that we made, and we're just moving it from yeah. one column to the yeah. other. It's not God a said it. I reality. believe it. That settles it. Yeah. Yes, that and it. the thing that God said was Pluto was a planet. So somehow they believed yeah. in science until they didn't believe in science again. So that's but that's the kind of thing that happens. And what I love about the, as human beings, our only experience with the world is as human beings, and uh -huh. therefore all of our experiences that were that we can interpret in some way with any kind of language verbal language or the other languages that, that we utilize emotional languages they're all human constructs right from right. Right. lasers that we utilize for something or radio waves or categories of understanding like yep. we are we are in this mix all the time we're Sometimes in it we're part we of it it can feel like science is a set established thing that affects us and all we're doing is naming its realities right, right. as opposed right. to no we're we're full participants in the very other elements of this creation and utilizing them for our own purposes right. and in our own ways and it's a very human endeavor and i think that that yeah uh, yeah and 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 i i think that i think that science over time does sort of get to something that's real it's it's uh, we're sort of approaching something that actually is real sort of yeah. you know getting to the bones of the universe you know we're getting we're getting some sense of what things are really like but it is a human construction it is a it is a yeah. human uh, endeavor you know and filled with all the messiness and uh, uncertainty that anything that we do has in it and you know room for error plenty of room for error sure yeah yeah. And and room for and room for beauty and th and those two things are related to each other, right? Yeah. They're in fact yeah. the the more beautiful something is, the more it has to have sort of its frailties of life and goodness. Yeah. Exactly. All yeah. the rest of this. Well, so anti science anti science people are really just like take tearing down one of the most unbelievable creation human creations. Yes. That, that exists. Mm -hmm. Well, you know. and, and I'll, I'll just I'll just editorialize for a moment religiously here on a religious topic. Th one of the things that causes some people to do this is the belief that human beings are the opposite of the divine. So when you have a human project, you're somehow rejecting the godly project. Yeah, right. So you end up then with the thing that's full of frailty and all the rest of this. But there's this divine truth that's not subject to our human life right. and endeavors, right? That construct that so many people hold, that we are the problem in the system. There's some, and whether you're divine is, looks old man with a beard or pulsating love of the universe. That's yeah. all good and great and beautiful and pure. And then there's us, you know, we're just the right. 
mm-hmm. screw ups that kind of break everything. Which is, and which is thoroughly, it. in my understanding, which is thoroughly unchristian because the whole point of Christianity is that made in the is image. that is that you know God in a sense gave up power, gave up control, and became <laughs> part of this mess. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it's like it's like if 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 any religion was trying to do away with the Zeus on top of the mountain throwing lightning bolts image of God, it has got to be Christianity. Yeah, yeah, for you sure. You know what I mean? And God yes. became completely frail and completely vulnerable and completely dependent. Yes, what and, kind and of a and crazy you, idea is that? And you get this notion. Well, YouTube to ban us again for conspiracy theory, but you get this notion of the the human and the divine being indistinguishable right in the in jesus the christ right that's mm-hmm. that's sort of the point that's the incarnate so that we realize oh yeah those things are not opposite right <laughs> that's the point right instead it turns into well one time there was a miracle man that walked like it's a, just <laughs> break that thing <laughs> yeah. apart yeah. and have you all and call it the, the incarnation rather than incarnation and you know that's a whole right. the participle right. is always the problem in human in english language so. yeah have you all seen the the videos of Bill Nye, the science guy, taking a tour of the Creation Museum with Ken Ham. And they're having like no. a conversation walking through. It's just the most frustrating thing you'll ever watch. Really? I, just, I, I, I can, I'm, I'm going to on purpose not watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to not watch it tomorrow at eight. That's what I'm going to do. Eight o'clock is going to hit. And I'm going to say, you know what I'm not doing right now? Watching that. Yeah. And you can, you can mental- call me. You can call me anytime, and I'll and I can say you know what I'm not doing right now. One hundred percent not watching it. Ten years but from the, now. Call the me. links people will go to the mental gymnastics to avoid admitting what is in front of their eyes is real is just stunning. Yeah. Well, and the people who just, I who I who I know who would watch that Dan would say the same thing about Bill Nye. Right, the people I know who love the science museum would be like, and then that guy walks through the museum, and just can't see the very truth. Yep. <laughs> yeah, isn't it something? Like, like not only do we deny the realities that we see and hear and experience, but then when someone else points those out, we're like, yeah, but you're the one that doesn't. And this isn't just picking on one side mm-hmm. of a debate. This right, is just right. like a welcome to therapy. You know? Yeah. Yes. Right, right. A human. A human universal. Yep. Crazy, yeah. Crazy. Well, well, hooray we'll for science. That. We'll just sit in that for a while. Just, just you know. <laughs> and that, <laughs> friends, is the, the <laughs> and that's the, and, and that's the sound of anti-science leaving your body. That's what that is. Right <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, you know what I think is funny is uh, what, what, what I'll often say to people, like they'll say, what are you doing in your podcast? Say we do a lot of different things. We talk about politics. We talk about faith. We talk about culture. We talk about science and economics. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm not really into science. It's kind of dry and boring. For whatever reason, we laugh more in the, <laughs> the science uh, podcast than, than, all, than all the other ones, which are really rife for humor. I don't know what, what it is. Well, but, uh, it's, 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 it's I in think some it's you, sense, Paul. strangely, it might be a lighter topic because it's a little more removed from this, our daily stresses of what's on the news, you know? I mean, you know, I walk into my house sometimes and Elizabeth's got, you know, the news on. I'm like, babe, no, I can't do that. I'm just going home from work. You know, it just really is heavy. I mean, the, the, the truth is, is that the world feels heavy right now. And talking about neutron stars and talking about, you know, rings around dwarf planets is a little bit of a relief. True. Maybe that's it. Or maybe I'm just a really funny guy. <laughs> Yeah, don't sell yeah, maybe yourself short, maybe, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is just a relief that we sort of get a break from that. There's also uh, the wonder aspect of it. Like yeah, you just yeah. you catch That's a glimpse true. of like how big things are, how wild it is in our universe, and it's just like what? Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a, a bit of a mind trip, a good healthy mind trip. Yeah. Yes. Just how insane these things that we just click along with and take, you know, as normal as can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, tell the people in the chat, Dave, thank you very much. Dave sent us a nice little thank you, Dan. Thank you for all of your, uh, your fun <laughs> bantering there. I <laughs> uh, really appreciate it. Dan uh, says, Jim, I'm a dwarf planet. 
awesome. Going on. Jane, thanks. Uh, thanks. Uh, and then Mary or Marie, thank you for your uh, for your comments. We, we love when people comment. You can always, uh, you know, send us emails at danabocommongood.com too. So feel free to just send your thoughts along uh, to Dan or to Paul or others. Um, so is that it for today? Are we good? We're good. Good. All right. Well, well, happy, uh, happy laser day to your wife. Happy laser day to all of you. Thanks. I'm about to go home and uh, I'm going to be driving her to the place and driving her back home. That's probably for the best. Yeah. Yeah. Good move. It's not far of it, but still. Still. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.